Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, I mean, I can definitely relate to you. And I know Chloe and I have talked about this before. I like talking about when we're working with the horses and we look really angry. And we're like, oh, I promise we're having fun. We're not angry, but it's just kind of like the facial expression that comes on our face. I think we still do have a little bit of concerns about the whole facial expression situation, though, with a lot of the intrins and horses. Sorry if you hear the bird, by the way. Um, but with a lot of the intrins and horses having like a, a bit of you know like you said um a stress look on their face or they can sometimes show calming signals or you know pain signals those type of things and obviously yeah like you said context is extremely important like you know yawning could just be like they're tired or it could be a calming signal so really looking at that context I totally agree there that's super important um I think where I'm a little uncertain about it is I guess I just don't have that much confidence that there is a really reliable way to distinguish whether, you know, it is stress or, you know, whether it's bad stress or good stress or whatever. And I think, you know, a lot of what I understand about horses being like a prey species is that they typically, you know, would want to keep their kind of excitement levels lower unless they're being faced with some type of situation that would cause them to to increase those excitement levels and um from you know the the research kind of not you know not that I've like done the research myself but reading other people's research a lot of what I've heard about like horses playing in the wild there's a lot of play among like young horses and then as they get to be adults it really really decreases a lot um then we don't really see very much like play in the wild between adult horses at least you know from the studies that I've been able to see And so, you know, because of that, I think it just makes me a little bit concerned that, you know, as a species, I don't really know if there's, if there's horse specific science out there to maybe show that this, that, you know, there is a significant possibility that this could be, you know, positive stress. Um, And I think, you know, part of that is that there's still so much research that needs to be done on pain face and calming signals. There's still so much that we don't know. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that I definitely think that there's no way that it could truly be like, you know, them really having fun. But I think until that there was like more information out there that could give me like a more um, concrete understanding, I would just be a little nervous personally seeing those signals with my horses. And I, you know, I think that maybe that's just sort of like a, a personal difference as well, because I think, you know, having like such an emphasis on having a strong body is like not a bad thing that's a really good thing and it's clearly you know been very beneficial for you and for Kathy and for all sorts of other people um but I think you know maybe for me like my perspective is more I want them to be more relaxed and um you know get the movement in more so and like a lot of walking over a long distance rather than kind of more of kind of like the badass movements but that may just be sort of like a difference in perspective I don't know like I definitely get what you're saying and I do think it's it's definitely possible that like humans make that kind of stressed facial expression their horses could potentially do that as well 
But then on the other hand, I also think a lot of the time, the reason why I'm enjoying what I'm doing when I have that stress face is because I'm kind of thinking about like future plans and goals and being like, oh, I'm like working towards, you know, if I'm running a mile, I'm like working towards being able to do like a 5k and then do a marathon or whatever. And so I kind of have this like goal oriented type of mindset there. And I think it's a lot tougher for horses to have that goal oriented mindset because of their kind of um, underdeveloped frontal lobe compared to ours. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's just kind of a lot of thoughts. And I'm, I'm definitely like not trying to come across as rude or aggressive or anything, because I like totally respect and hear what you're saying. That's just kind of some of my thoughts and, and response that I might have to that to just, you know, kind of get into the topic. I guess that's what this conversation's for. So. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand um, your your perspective and, you know, it from a strictly like behavior and learning like lens that makes absolute sense. Um, and, you know, and I understand why a lot of people, you know, agree with probably agree more with you than they do with me. And, and that's totally fine because I, I super, I super understand, you know, absolutely where you guys are coming from. I think for me, because of my experiences that I've had with horses, but also, um, just being in the kind of the realm that I am with a lot of my, um, my friends and family who are in the, the movement and medical field, um, just seeing the, what's kind of coming out about, how important um, exploring new ranges of motion and effortful movement, and in particular, um, you know, with with humans um, being able to lift heavy things and and do things that are very effortful, um, they are an indicator of um, longevity and quality of life in ways that are just starting to kind of come out. And again, like, I know this is all human science and it won't all perfectly translate to horses. Um, but I think, you know, for me, again, that's, that's something that I'm really invested in and really, um, personally motivated to kind of make more of a priority than some of the other things that like a more traditional positive reinforcement, um, trainer is going to focus on. So, you know, I, I'm not at all offended by what you said, or I don't feel like you're trying to, you know, say I'm wrong or any of those things. I, I just think it's, it's more of a matter of what, what is your motivation and what is your priority? Um, and you know, for me, I'm not, I haven't, done a huge focus on as many of the like manners type behaviors and things, you know, if there's something that comes up and I'm like, Oh, this is not working well for either of us. I'm going to go and address it in a very, a much more like traditional positive reinforcement way. Um, but again, for me, like my, my motivation, and I think a lot of it is just from that pain point of having seen, so many horses go in a direction that looking back, if, if they had been better equipped to handle 
their workload with, you know, a better foundation, better core strength, um, we could have avoided those things. I, I used to manage a large lesson program and it was a nonprofit. And so all of our horses were donated. And so, you know, donated horses are rarely um, at the peak of health. So, you know, I've, I've seen a lot. Um, and, and I think for me, that piece is the, my motivating factor. And, you know, I think had I been in a different area where I was seeing a lot of rescue horses with a lot of like abuse and a lot of emotional, um, stuff and like very spooky or unhandled, my motivation would probably be way more in the low stress, no stress, like realm, because that's something that, you know, I know a lot of people that I follow, like they work with, with those types of horses. And like, that's got to be your number one concern. Um, and I think, you know, like what I do is probably not something that your average listener is going to be really invested in, but there's probably someone out there that has a horse with a movement issue. That's not being fixed or addressed by traditional horsemanship or traditional veterinary, um, stuff because, uh, you know, an ingrained movement pattern can happen just from being on stall rest or, um, you know, having an old injury that's healed and no longer causing issues, but because it's an ingrained pattern, it's an ingrained movement pattern. So, um, you know, I think using intrins and stuff is not something that you're going to want to do with like lesson horses or, you know, horses that come in from like rescue from slaughter but, um, or from like abuse cases or whatever, but, you know, for, for horses that are, um, experiencing movement challenges that are not being addressed by just making the muscle stronger or doing the traditional, like exercise, um, a lot of the intrinsic methods can be really groundbreaking for a lot of them. Sounds like a lot of our differences are really just a matter of perspective. Because for me, with my work with both dogs and horses, a lot of it is behavior modification. And I'm not as worried about their physical strength because it's just not priority in that case. Mm -hmm. So that definitely makes sense that if you're working with horses that likely don't have that much trauma, you would be focusing more on their physical health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, Intrinsic gets lumped in with positive reinforcement because it utilizes positive reinforcement, but it's definitely not something that you would want to pursue if you were just looking to learn about positive reinforcement. Um, and, you know, I, I do think using those methods and techniques um, really helped me raise and get my young horse ready to be ridden. Like he, I got him as a yearling. I spent the first four and a half years that I had him just getting him really strong and really confident in his body, um, using a lot of the intrinsic methodology. And I did other things too, in a more like traditional positive reinforcement way, like you know, teaching him to stand while I tack him up and like creating positive associations between tacking and, you know, steering on the ground. And we do stationary targets on the ground 
for me to like teach him to steer and ground driving with positive reinforcement and all that stuff that I wouldn't necessarily call intrinsic. But again, all of, all of that was still filtered through that like mindset. But when I did eventually like sit on him for the first time, we were actually out in an open field and I just stood on a log and he kind of came up next to me and I like slowly put my full weight on him and he did a big crunch which is something that a lot of intrinsic people do um and then I just got off and that was like the first time I ever sat on him um and I think like a big part of intrinsic um is for me and for raising Finnick was getting him to the point where he was strong enough to carry a rider so that it wasn't this like big scary thing I think a lot of the reason why horses getting a rider on for the first time is scary for them is not even just the whole idea of like tack and a flailing person on top of them but a lot of times it's because they're they're not they weren't like born to carry a hundred plus pounds on their back um and to go from no pounds on your back to like maybe a 15 pound saddle then to a whole entire person like that's a lot and so like that that was kind of the the intrinsic like mindset was what I used to kind of get him ready physically for me to be able to ride him and feel okay about eventually like putting my full weight on him for longer and longer periods of time um And so that's something else too, that I think is really cool about it. And I think a lot of positive reinforcement training is similar because you use that very like slow and like thin slice approach to it. Um, And because of that, you are introducing weight for short amounts of time, very slowly over time. And so you still get that same benefit. Anyway, I feel like I just went down a weird rabbit, rabbit trail. (laughs) It happens all the time. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And this is not really related at all to anything anymore. (laughs) But I was wondering what you thought about crossover horses doing intrinsic, so horses that were trained traditionally originally, and then going into doing more intrinsic type work. Yeah, so I've had two at this point. I think with a crossover horse, something that's really important is creating a really specific context for when you're doing your more intrinsic type activities, um, for my horses, they often can tell because of what tools I'm using. So I have like a specific target. That's like, this is the target that I want you to like use to hit with your feet. Or, um, I'll often, I have a long target that I'll ride with when I'm trying to work on, some more, uh, robust movement under saddle. Um, and I think that creating a really specific context. So your horse is very clear on when you are, and when you aren't doing that. And even like a crossover horse, just with positive reinforcement, I think that's important because you're not going to be able to transfer over immediately all at once. Um, and that can be something like we only do it in this area, like, let's say you have a round pen and like when we're in the round pen, this is when we're doing this. Or like, we only do it when you're wearing this specific, I don't know, halter or, um, 
like I said, for me, it's, I have like a specific target that I use and like a few other tools that are different than stuff that I would use if I'm just like riding or just, you know, doing something else on the ground, like teaching them a behavior. Um, so I think making that really clear and, and each horse I think is going to have a easier idea figuring out that context. So it kind of puts a little bit of ownership on the human working with them to figure out how can I make it really clear to my horse when we are and when we aren't doing this type of work, because not every horse is going to understand that like the blue fanny pack means intrinsic and the green one means not intrinsic or whatever. Um, but I, I think horses are pretty good at, at figuring that out if there's something linked to whatever you're working with. So I think for a crossover horse, I think that's the biggest thing. The other thing is if there is a horse that has been trained in any way with like the flag, like, so like the bag on the stick, um, I'd be really careful about doing any of the, like chase the bag stuff that you see. Um, a lot of us doing, um, because that can really quickly have negative connotations. Um, and I think you'll see a lot of people using like just pool noodles, because a lot of times a horse, even a crossover horse, like won't associate a pool noodle with, um, with a whip or with being chased by like a carrot stick or a flag or a, a bag. Um, but I think, yeah, like with a, with crossover, like creating really specific context. They understand like, this is when we're doing this and this is when we're not. And then also just being really cognizant of the types of tools that you're using and making sure that they are things that they're extremely comfortable with. Um, and as different as possible from something that maybe has any type of like trauma or negative associations, um, with it. And then, you know, I think Oh, another thing that can be really helpful and really important is, um, never being afraid to like use protected contact. Um, that's something that probably isn't mentioned. It is mentioned. Um, but I don't think it, you know, is something that's talked about as much, um, in the intrinsic world, but we utilize protected contact a lot. And in fact, like a fence line can be really helpful for helping horses, um, build like strength through straightness. Um, and so I'll often hop on the other side of the fence and use protected contact more for the straight line of the fence than for my own or the horse's safety. Um, but, you know, I think starting out with protected contact can be really valuable for both the horse and the, um, the human rider horse person whatever you want to call them. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Um, but yeah, just like specific context, make sure you're using tools that don't have other associations with them. I've even used like a stick horse in the past or like, I love going to the dollar store and just seeing what like random stuff I can find there. Um, like fairy princess, uh, wands or whatever. There's all kinds of fun stuff you can use yoga balls. You can, you can really, you can turn anything into a target to be followed. Um, and that's part of, part of the fun is seeing how creative people get with those, even in just like traditional positive reinforcement. Um, I've seen all kinds of wonderful things turned into targets. Yeah, I agree. And I think that 
that advice is really good and that's a super good idea to go to the dollar store and just look for cool objects I think you know even with the more it feels weird to say traditional positive reinforcement because there's not really much traditional about it yet but you know the more traditional positive reinforcement people um I do think that there are you know elements of that and like setting the environment up for success and stuff that we do use like for example for me trying to get my horses to um to want to do a little bit of higher movement behaviors not really you know anything too badass but even just get them to you know trot with me um I have started using the ball because they like to push the ball so it kind of sets them up to want to you know go a little faster and push the ball so I think that you know that I can definitely relate there and I think even you know from the more kind of traditional shaping type of sense there are you know, aspects of that that we use. So that's cool that there are, you know, still a lot of connections there, even for people who maybe don't use the whole like intrinsic mindset overall, there's still things you can take from it. And I really enjoy the paying science kind of information that Kathy shares as well. I'd really like to do, you know, some of her courses that include that information and learn more about that. Cause I do think that's really interesting. I just like, I want to say that I'm I'm really like, I think you guys are doing an amazing thing. And I think it's so important that, um, you know, when I first started looking into positive reinforcement and even like listening to podcasts, there were like no podcasts about horses. And if there was, it was like, you know, some like Olympic level dressage person. And now there are so many wonderful podcasts out there, um, talking about all these other, like more conscious horsemanship ways of being with their horses and positive reinforcement and stuff like that. And I just think that's super cool. And thank you guys so much for having me on here and yeah, like keep spreading the good word about positive reinforcement because I feel like the tide is slowly starting to turn in a much better direction for horses. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed having you on the podcast and we really appreciate being able to have this conversation. I think it really adds to our episodes on intrinsic to be able to talk to somebody who um, has more experience with it and be able to kind of discuss it. So yeah, thank you again so much. Yeah, awesome. Anytime. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.